0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, October the 31st, 2022. It is currently 11 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, there are topics that you don't like to hear about, and there are topics that I don't like to talk about. But sometimes we are forced to listen to things we don't want to hear because we need to hear them. Look, sometimes we don't want to hear something, but we need to hear it. But sometimes we're forced to hear something. Maybe you go to church and you're forced to hear a message you you would not prefer to hear. Maybe sometimes you tune into a, a podcast. I guess technically you're not forced to listen to this. You could stop at any time. But there are times I guess we we need to really be forced to come face to face with some uncomfortable truths that we don't like. And that's the case here. And sometimes as a pastor or Christian podcaster, you're forced to talk about things you don't want to talk about. So, in a roundabout way, I guess we're not. We're technically, I, I could choose not to talk about them, and I guess technically, you could choose not to listen to them. But I think there are times we need to be challenged. We need to be forced to come face to face with hard truth, hard reality, and think about it carefully and deeply, so that we can hopefully be impacted by it in a positive way. I had no desire to discuss talk or begin a series on women submission and abuse that's that's a, a horrible unpleasant topic to talk about women submission and abuse specifically within christianity obviously specifically within the church that's a horrible subject but we have found ourselves again i feel like I'm going to keep using that word to talk about it, even though I don't want to, all because of a news story that was posted that deals with women, submission, abuse, and the church. And if you listen to part one, you know that one specific church, one specific pastor, really was singled out in the story, but I don't want to make it about that pastor or about that church. I want to deal with this bigger issue Of the church, women, submission, and abuse, and how this all plays out, and how horribly wrong, how horribly the church has handled these situations in the past, in the present, and will continue to mishandle them in the future. You're like, well, you're telling me there's no hope? No, I'm telling you this, and I'm going to—we have to start right here again. This is so important. The church has been is and will, fo- will forever be filled with sinners. Pastors are sinners. Church members are sinners. Everyone is a sinner in in Christianity. That, that that's why we are saved by an imputed righteousness. I know we want the theory that you become a Christian. It's like oh, basically we stop sinning and now we can just we can just all be obedient to God. But that's not the reality. We are still sinners with a sinful nature, and sin manifests itself in the life of Christians all the time. We fall short of God's glory and God's standards twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. We sin, we sin, we sin. Anyone who tells you different is lying. The church is filled with sin, and the church falls short over and over and over and over and over and over over again. You've got 2,000 years of church history to prove that. There shouldn't even be a debate, but we forget that reality. That's a harsh reality nobody wants to deal with, but sin is present, and it's the norm in the life of Christians and the church. You say, it should not be. Well, you can argue it should not be, but it is. And when you start looking at what's going on in the church and you start looking at news stories, we see the uncomfortable reality of this truth. And no, again, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to be forced to face it. But the reality is the church is made up of sinners. And guess what happens when the church is made up of sinners? Sin occurs. Horrible things happen. The word of God gets twisted and used as a weapon to hurt people. People get misused and, and manipulated and hurt. Pa- pastors mess up church men. Ma- it's just sin. I mean, it's, it's what happens. And for some weird reason, I don't think Christians really have a theology and how to deal with the reality of sin. Well, our theology basically seems like you become a Christian and boom, it's all gone. And now we live godly, holy, wonderful lives and everything is great. And Everything is wonderful, and we can all hold hands and drink a Coke and sing Kumbaya, and everything is wonderful. But the reality is the Christian life is one filled with sin, failure, and pain, and heartache, and and, uh, ups and downs, and difficulties. It's just the reality of it. But this all started because of a news story that was published on October the 27th, 2022, at 5.49 p.m. The headline, exclusive. Woman says John MacArthur's church taught her to stay with abusive husband. And the article goes on to tell uh, some, uh, put it this way, make some horrible accusations, horrific details. That are not suitable for children. We will well, we will go through this article again, but this is what we're doing. So so in part one we went through the article and i apologize for part 1 it really i almost did not post part 1 if you don't know what was happening there was something going on behind the scenes okay i was trying to talk and go through this horrible horrible article right i'm trying to keep my focus on this i'm trying to trying to show the right reverence and the right respect for such a horrible and Heavy subject. I'm trying to do that. So I'm sitting here talking in a microphone, but right here to my right is my laptop, my computer that shows my connection to the internet when we're live on the air, just so that I'm, I know everything is good. And there's a, there's an indicator. It's, it's a, it's a light. If it's green, everything is wonderful. If it turns red, that means we've lost internet connection for some weird reason, which could interrupt the live broadcast. So I was trying to talk about this very heavy, Very important subject, but the indicator kept turning red. So in my mind, I keep thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we're about to go off the air. We're about to go off the air. And I'm sitting here trying to talk about a woman who's who's talking about the abuse she suffered and how the church handled it, and it's this horrible thing. So I'm trying to show the right, you know, tone with that, but my mind's over here going, we're we're about to go off the air. We're about to go off the air. I'm going to lose all of this information. And you talk about not a—it just— that's kind of a, a conflicted way to try to deal with such an important subject I, all the emails I have received no one seemed to, to under to to feel that I wasn't handling it in an appropriate way or or that my tone was incorrect I've had emails from people who've either suffered women who have suffered abuse uh, women who have suffered abuse and the church uh, mishandled it in a horrible way I've received some very you know troubling messages in regards to this subject. So I'm thankful that I was able to handle everything correct. But I was very unhappy with part one. But in part one, here's what I did. I decided to take kind of an interesting approach. One, I wanted to really emphasize that I'm not making this about MacArthur or Grace Community Church. And if you take it that way, you're completely misunderstanding what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take this news article to get to these deeper issues, these things that are happening in the church. And so what I did is I started going through the article and say, okay, that that's issue number one, That's issue number two. That's issue number three, that's issue number four. And then in the uh, the up the f- uh, follow up episodes, we would take one of those issues at a time. All right? Yes, I still may relate it back to the original story, but I want to look at these issues, these deeper issues because I think that they need to be discussed. In a way that will challenge us because here's the thing. It's one thing to just turn on the microphone and go, I, can you believe what grace community church did? Can you believe what MacArthur's church did? How come they won't make a comment? What, what are they going to do? We need to get to the bottom of this. What's going on. I could do that, but I don't think that really helps anyone, right? I don't think that really helps because this issue goes beyond grace community church. It goes beyond John MacArthur. It goes to your church, my church. It goes to your life, my life. It goes was to a deeper issue in the history of Christianity. Because Christianity has a long history of not handling this situation correctly. So I'm just, I want to just take apart certain issues that maybe no one's ever even thought of in relation to the subject of women, abuse, submission, and the church. That, that maybe they've never even been considered And then maybe by the time we're done, people go, okay, look, I may not agree with some of your conclusions, but those are real issues that has to be talked about. And some of these you may not even think relates, but I believe they do. And today we're going to talk about just one of those issues that you may not think really is connected to the issue of women and abuse and submission in the church. But I think it's it's an issue we have to talk about, all right? Are you ready? So here we go. So there's a little bit of how we've gotten here. And again, it's a it's a it's a it's a horrible subject. It's a horrible subject. But we we again, I keep using the word forced. I know technically you're not, but we need to be forced to deal with it. We have to be. We have to be. All right. It's like when um, when within the Catholic Church and all of the the sexual abuse cases, it was horrible, horrific on the news all the time. But for many in the non-Catholic Church, we're like, well, that's what happens. That's that's Catholicism for you. That's Catholics for you. That's their whole teaching on celibacy. We blamed everything and we sat back kind of like. It's not our problem. And then all of a sudden, boom, we started finding out about a sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention or sexual abuse in the Independent Fundamental ba- Baptist. Convention. And then all of a sudden, more stories started coming up about what was going on in the Protestant world. And then all of a sudden, like, wait, maybe instead of pointing fingers and going, well, that's Catholicism, we should have stopped and looked at ourselves. Well, instead of just using this story to point at John MacArthur, maybe we should look at ourselves. Maybe it's time for the church to consider women, submission, and abuse, and try to figure out what is a biblical way of looking at some of these things. But I cannot say it enough. We have to start with one fundamental truth, that the church is made up of sinners. So sin is going to show up in the church continually in some way, shape, or form. I've already spent well way too long in the introduction here, but I, I, I think uh, I'm going to break these down into individual. We're only going to cover one issue in this episode, so I don't need as much time as I typically would. All right, because I don't want to rush through these. All right, because I think each one of these, well, they're going to not only spark debate, not only are they gonna um, they're going to spark controversy. They're going to, they. I hope. Uh, they're they're they they they're going to spark those things. I hope that they're going to spark some real deep, meaningful discussion. It's going to spark controversy. It's going to spark these these, these de- debates, but hopefully it spark, sparks meaningful discussion, right? I guess that's what I'm really hoping for. I, 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 I'm hopeful for it. I guess in some ways I'm skeptical about it because a lot of times within Christianity, meaningful discussion doesn't occur. Just, controversy and yelling and debate and calling each other names. But I hope that we can have a meaningful dialogue here. Are you ready? Okay. When it comes to women, submission and abuse, abuse within the church, in marriage, you know, within, within Christianity. I want you to consider two words. God's Will. Now, there are lots of directions I could go with these two words, God's will. All right, we could talk about the sovereignty of God. We could talk about understanding God's eternal decrees. And how do we understand this when it comes to abuse and and women and submission in the church? And how do we understand this? But I'm going to focus on the term related specifically to marriage and specifically along these lines. It's God's will that I marry this person. Now, that language is so common within the Christian world. We use that language so frequently that I don't think we ever stop to think of the psychological implications that leads to, the psychological things that that do. When, when we, we use this language that it's God's will, I marry this person. It's God's will. That's God's will for me. God's will was for me to marry this person. That's the person God chose for me. That is God's will. There are psychological implications that come with that, especially when women or even men, but we'll, we'll specifically focus on women because that's just what the story is, about when women find themselves in an abusive relationship because they find themselves in an abusive relationship, but they also have this thing stuck in their God's will, God's will, God's will, God's will. And, and this, this, this can play out in many, in many ways, but I just want to focus it on God's will and who you marry. If you had the unfortunate privilege of being a teenager Within Christianity, I know that sounds horrible, but uh, many I think many teenagers who, who live through maybe a Christian home or, or the church, they grow up and they have, uh, many of them have very, have horrible, hor- horrific stories, and they talk about many of the issues that they still struggle with as a result of what happened. My Christian, I became a, a Christian as a teenager, and man, the, the things you're taught as a youth and, and, the, and the way they handle you to me sometimes just leads to, to horrible, damaging consequences in one's life. Because I, I think some, so many times you're just, you're just given some horrible concepts that I think lead to major problems moving on in marriage and, and, and life and in and so many different ways. let's go back to this news story, and I'll show you why I want to focus on this, all right? So God's will and who you marry. God's will and who you marry. That's what I I know you're going to say, what does that have to do with submission and abuse in the church? What does it have to do with women being abused? It has everything, because in a roundabout way, that's how this story begins. The news article starts this, and I quote, Krista, that's the the, the, the name the woman is used uh, has is used for this story. Krista believed it was God's will that she marry her husband. Krista believed it was God's will that she marry her husband. That, that is such a common phrase used within Christianity, we don't even think about it. But there is massive psychological implications to that. Because here's what, once you get married and you're like, that's the person God chose for me, then you, you're almost then, if abuse begins to happen, horrible things begin to happen, you're going to keep telling, well, that was God's will. This is the person God chose for me. I know that's who God chose for me. This is the person I was supposed to marry. That leads to major issues in what you're supposed to do, right? Okay. So wait, I'm being abused. Horrible things are taking place. Horrific things are taking place. Well, it's God's will. It has to be. This is who God told me. God told me to marry this person. This is who God chose for me. So what can I do? It leads to a sense of powerlessness or it leads to a sense of I have to just deal with this. Let me read the beginning of this story. And again, this is not suitable for children. So let me just read the beginning of this again. Krista believed it was God's will that she marry her husband. She believed it was his will for her to deny himself. She believed it was his will for her to deny herself. To endure the pain each time her husband reportedly raped her mere hours after giving birth. To not intervene when her seven children cried out for mercy as her husband repeat, reportedly beat them. Every day when the kids are screaming in pain, I'm defying every natural thing as a mother to stand up for the doctrine that I was taught. Now, you, I know there are deeper issues here, but I just want to start with this concept of, well, how do we know? Who we're supposed to marry? Because Christians have a long-standing history of saying you're supposed to listen to God's will. Let me just give you an article, just one paragraph in an article about how to how to choose a spouse. If you're a Christian, how do you choose a spouse? Right here's number three. Here's the third step in how to choose a spouse. Has God communicated anything to you that specifically relates to this relationship? It is important that we are prayerful and attentive to God when considering a romantic relationship. That said, the truth is, for most, it is very difficult to hear God once romantic feelings emerge because of our tendency to hear what our hearts want to hear. The key is to be honest with ourselves and quieting our hearts to really listen to God. It is amazing how often we have heard people coming out of relationships that have not worked out well, saying that from the start, God had made it clear to them in one way or another that the relationship was wrong. If you do believe that God has spoken to you about the relationship, write it down and have those with discernment and objectivity help you weigh the word before you accept it as the word of the Lord. So see how subjective this is? Okay, how do you figure out who to marry? You listen. You listen. You listen, and I got to hear what God, and I'm supposed to write it down. Okay, all right. This is not looking to scripture. This is listening to some inner feeling, inner voice. Okay, God is telling me this. Now, I, I find it hilarious that once the relationship falls apart, right, once the relationship blows up, it's a train wreck, it's a dumpster fire, horrible things happen. Then it's like, well, God was telling me the whole time that it was wrong. Of course, now you're going to say that. Doesn't mean anything after the fact. Here's the problem with all of that. It's subjective. Not only that, it relies on a doctrinal doctrinal idea that God is speaking to us outside of the scriptures. It makes the scriptures not the final authority, but whatever you're hearing, what you're supposedly feeling, and then you're supposed to listen to. So really, what becomes the final authority in who you marry? Well, supposedly an inner voice and listening to other people. Now, they, they will add scripture to it, but this becomes way subjective. But again, it leads to this problem. Now that you're in it, well, I mean, God told me this is who I'm supposed to marry. God told me this is who I'm— I, I and, and not only that, I think it leads to major marital problems because in many cases, you're trying to figure out who God supposedly wants you to marry and not maybe just relying on, I don't know, basic concepts like compatibility, like, you know, like— Just just things that that are critical to our relationship. But it becomes this mystical, spiritual thing. And mystical, spiritual thing, but leads to maybe a relationship where maybe there isn't compatibility. Maybe there is major issues. Maybe there are major problems. And And then if something horrible goes on, you're still stuck with saying, wait, this is what God told me to do. Wait, this is what God told me to do. Wait, this is what God told me to do. And then, then, what do you do? You're getting beat. But wait, this God told me to do this. God, God had to know. Do you see the damage that this can cause? This creates a, a just a bizarre psychological phenomenon. And and when I was uh, when I was young, I I, I kept being told that. you gotta you gotta listen to who God wants you to date. You gotta listen to who God wants you to marry. Led me to all kinds of confusion and doubt, right? Oh, wait. Okay. I know I'm in this relationship, but I think God maybe want me to, I think, I don't know if God does God and trying to figure out what God wants and try to some, some kind of mystical thing that led me to all kinds of confusion and, and it all just all kinds of issues in my, in my uh, teenage life. Because I mean, I'm a teenager already. It's hard enough being a teenager, your emotions, your hormones, all of that. And then you've got to try to hear the voice of God. You got to hear the voice of God and I got to figure it out. And it's something I, I have a hard enough time as a teenager trying to figure out hearing my own voice, much less the voice of God. It's chaos. It's confusion. It's subjectivity gone wild. And it places you in a position where now you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is who God told me to marry. Now you add abuse to that. That that can have devastating consequences on someone's, well, I don't trust God. God put me here. I mean, it, it, it makes you question God. It makes you question faith. It makes you question Christianity. That is just a horrible place to be. And we've got to eradicate this craziness, this mysticism out of Christianity. So what's a biblical way of thinking about this? I know what you're saying. Some of you may not understand the connection I'm trying to draw here between what happens to women's submission and abuse in the church. But this article starts right there. She believed it was God's will to marry this man who then repeatedly rapes her and beats her children horribly. Okay, that, now, that's the case. Now you say, well, whether, I'm not here to argue whether what she's saying is true or not true. I'm taking the story and and saying this does happen that people end up in these horrible, horrible situations, but we'll say it's God's will. Now, and, and it just leads to all kinds of confusion. So here's my thesis. Here's my hypothesis. If I take the Bible, right, And I try to read from Genesis to Revelation and try to go, okay, the Bible's going to tell me who to marry. First, I'm going to question that I don't think the Bible's really designed necessarily to tell me who to marry. That's not really the focus of the book. There are at least, there's at least one passage that would give us some kind of possible guideline, all right? And it's not listen to some voice, listen to some feeling. It's pretty straightforward. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with Christ. The key is not to be unequally yoked. Now, a yoke is something that is binding, right? In fact, I have an article here on the idea of of yoke. Let me just go back to this. And I know you may be like, "Well, you need to get to the bigger issues." I think this is the issue to start with because this is this is where marriage begins, right? This is this is how it all starts for, for many Christians. The phrase "unequally yoked" comes from 2 Corinthians six fourteen, the King James version. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? The New American Version says, do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership hath righteousness with lawlessness? A yoke is a wooden bar that joins two oxen to each other and to the burden they pull. An unequally yoked team has one stronger ox and one weaker or one taller and one shorter. The weaker or shorter ox would walk more slowly than the taller or stronger one, causing the load to go around in circles. When oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them. Instead of working together, they're at odds with one another. So to be unequal, if if a Christian is unequally yoked with an unbeliever, they're at odds with one another. In a sense, it's going to cause massive conflict at a fundamental level, right? Christian, non-Christian, believer, unbeliever, it's going to create major, 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 major issues. Now, typically, this is connected a lot of times to business. But as this article goes on to say, of course, the closest alliance— one person can have with another is found in marriage. And this is how the pr- passage is usually interpreted. God's plan is for a man and a woman to become one flesh, a relationship is so intimate that one literally and figuratively becomes part of the other. Uniting a believer with an unbeliever is essentially uniting opposites, which makes for a very difficult marriage relationship. There's the biblical guideline. Is the other person a believer? That's the biblical guideline. The Bible doesn't, is not a marriage handbook and giving us all the directions. That's the starting point. Now, someone emailed me and brought up a very important point here. Well, well, Yes, the Bible does say, and I'm I'm paraphrasing the email. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the concept here. But yes, the Bible does tell us not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, but it still can be very difficult because you have to look out for, in a sense, the warning signs to see, are they truly a believer? Now, this becomes, this, in a sense, can become very subjective. So I'm not going to say whether they're a believer or not a believer. Here's what I would say. What, what, a, person has to do at this very a, a critical stage in choosing who they marry, they, they need to marry a believer that seems to demonstrate the same level of, of passion, zeal, and commitment to the things of God as you possess Someone who clearly seems to demonstrate that following Christ is a priority in their life, and look for red signs that seem that may indicate that they're not as committed as you may think that they are. I'm not going to get into whether well they're a believer, they're not a believer. They're, I, I'm not going to get into that because that begins to destroy th- that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, and that somehow my salvation is attached to works. And that just creates a whole different problem. But I, it is perfectly acceptable that you have to be willing to do that because a lot of cases people end up married to someone they think is just as committed to the things of God as they are, and then they find out really, really, really quick, this person is not that interested. And then now this fundamental level, it becomes, there becomes conflict, there becomes problems, there becomes problems, there becomes issues. Now, in the case of this story that uh that was posted, this news story, Krista marries a woman, or Krista marries a man, I should say. Krista marries a man who is very much involved, it seems, in, in Grace Community Church. He's a lay leader. He goes on mission trips. So it seems on one hand, he seems very committed to the things of God, but it seems what was happening at home was a horrific thing. Now, some people say, well, there had to be, you know, there had to be alert. There had to be a, a red flags. There had to be alerts. There had to be signs, warning signs that he wasn't as godly as he was. Well, I can't speak for that because I wasn't, wasn't there. We always think that there were, there were red, red, I keep wanting to say red alerts, but red flags, there were, there has to be warning signs maybe there maybe there is maybe there isn't sometimes you don't know i mean i it's 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 always easy to say sometimes you somebody else will see the red flags and try to warn the woman and i'll just put it uh, i'll i'll just look at this from the woman's uh from uh, the perspective of a woman because the uh, this story is about a woman who ends up being abused by you know someone and then the church doesn't seem to do anything about it the uh i think sometimes women will not see the red flags, and no matter how many warnings are given. I think sometimes men will not see the red flags. It's very hard to see the red flags when you're in a romantic relationship. It's hard to see that, right? All you see is what you want. All you see is what you need, and you can't see anything else. Because it's very difficult during that that period of time to be trying to keep your focus on the things of God because this becomes a priority. So yes, They should be on the lookout for the warning signs. They should be on the lookout for the red flags. The only problem is I don't know if they would see it if if they could and be be pointed out. But I do agree that that's an issue that they have to have to look out for. Um, I think the problem is. I think the the problem is twofold and some of the things that go wrong here. One It's easy during dating to do a lot of, I mean, dating is is a period of time where a lot of people pretend to be something they're not, right? I I, I think maybe the longer you date, sometimes it may take a long time, but dating is such a a period of time where there's a lot of pretending. The real you doesn't necessarily come out, which already creates a, a, a mode of deception uh, and, and and so you have to date for a very, 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 very long time. And Christians through, uh, historically have been very leery of long engagements or long dating because of the possible temptation of sexual sin. So in many cases, to avoid sexual sin, it's been like short engagement. You know, be very careful in your dating, not not serious time alone because of temptation. So therefore, it creates a situation where you may get married before you really know someone, before you really had to have the chance. And I know I know it's a balance in how to figure this out. But I'm just saying dating is such a time of people pretending the real them doesn't necessarily show up. So how are you going to necessarily see the red flags? It, sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes you should. But there's another problem. Sometimes what is indicated is that maybe neither person, if they're very honest, is that really are concerned with the spiritual. Sometimes what happens in this initial stage and in trying to figure out God's will and who to marry, maybe the reality is, is no one at that moment, not during the dating relationship is really that interest. They just want to hear you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. You love God. I love God. Okay. We're good to go. And, th- and th- they don't give it much more thought in that because at that time, they're more interested in the romance. They're more interested in the dating. That's what has their passion. Is that right then? the things of god is completely obliterated in their minds. And 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 it and you can't blame them because that those feelings can be overwhelming. As much you say, "Oh, I I you know, I want it to be about god." It can become about everything else quickly. So I think I think one there's a lot of deception that goes on in the dating uh, process, so you may never see the red flags. Two, you may claim that you wanted the spiritual, but during that time you may not have given it much thought. Now, after you're married, right, after now some of those emotions are now kind of leveled out, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, the priority now needs to be, you know, we need to serve God. We need to love God. We need to get back to to focusing on the things of God. And all of a sudden the other person's looking at you like, what are you talking about? And then you find yourself that maybe the other person doesn't want to be a spiritual leader or is not a very good spiritual leader or not a very good spiritual partner or however you want to phrase it. So there is no, there is no great guarantee and how to, I mean, there's, there isn't just any way to protect people from this because the whole dating thing is so based off a lot of deception. I know that sounds very cynical, but it just is. And it's not even conscious. It's it's, it's subconscious. It's, it's, it, it, we don't even realize we're doing it, but we're trying to put forth a certain idea or a certain image. And then once marriage happens, the image blows up and then the real per- people are there. And sometimes the real people are not what was advertised. And this creates some major issues. And this is where conflict begins maybe early on in marriage. That, wait a minute, this is not the way I thought this was going to be. But biblically, you're, the main guideline is finding a fellow believer. Yes, you have to try to find someone who, I mean, you, there, obviously there needs to be some major compatibility spiritually. There has to be. But let's make this very clear. You can find someone you're absolutely compatible with spiritually, supposedly, same doctrine, same desires, same concepts. And, and but there's a million other ways you're not compatible. There's a million other ways where there's no compatibility whatsoever. I mean, you don't, you, you're like. I mean it's it's, it's no it, it's like no it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't go together and the problem is within the church the focus is okay god's will you first so first of all we got to get rid of this idea of just some mystical thing the only guideline we have is don't be unequally yoked and we have to realize that you 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 can try to look for the warning signs I just sometimes I, I don't know how I don't know how visible the warning signs would ever be. Some people say, "Well, they're there, they're there." Maybe they are. Sometimes people will say there's a warning sign, and guess what? It, it, sometimes it can be people just judging someone because they don't like them, and maybe sometimes that warning sign is not really the warning sign. Sometimes I think the warning signs I don't know if they can be seen, but I think here's the issue: when when for Christian marriage, what we we seem to to forget sometimes that there's far more to marriage, right? I, I know we would love to pretend it's just the spiritual compatibility, but there's a million other issues going on there. So many other things. And, and the Christianity almost says, forget all of those other things. That's to Hollywood. That's to that's too the culture. No, no, oh, you you're a believer. They're a believer. You're good to go. But there's so many other issues. That sometimes gets overlooked. That those are fleshly considerations because we so spiritualize it. Wouldn't it be great that just, oh, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, you love God, I love God, you love the scriptures, I love the scriptures, you care about doctrine, I care about doctrine, boom, we're good to go. And that would override all the other issues. Wouldn't it be great theoretically if that would work out? But it doesn't. So then, but but just I to I want to just obliterate this idea that okay, this this is God's will. This is how I, I I and I know that's the language. But here's what I would say: here's the person I'm choosing to get married to. Based off the fact that one, they meet the biblical requirement that they claim to be a believer, and two, we appear to have much in common and much compatib- compatibility, and now we're going to enter into this marriage, right? And and you say, well, that if you if you don't use God's will, then then it's, it, it, you're you're setting yourself up that you could then just walk away and divorce. I'm not even getting to the divorce question right now. The point is, people who use the God's will language get divorced all the time. People who say, this was God's will, boom, they get divorced. So using the language, it just... I don't want the psychological thing there for a woman or a man or anyone who's in an abusive relationship to be like, well, wait a minute, this was God's will that I marry that specific person. Because typically Christianity tries to teach that God has one specific person for you, one specific person, and that's the person. And you wait till God leads you to that person, shows you that person, and then you marry that person. Well, you marry that person, and then all of a sudden abuse and rape starts taking place. What do you? How do you process well, well, that's the person god told me to marry what do you do with that no that's the person you chose to marry based off your your concepts your ideas I know some are going, so, so you're saying you can then say you made a mistake and get divorced? No, I think then you can say something's horribly gone wrong here without the pressure of, wait a minute, this was, this was God, God's the one who told me to marry that person. You can say, no, this is the choice you made, and now things are going horribly, horribly wrong. So maybe you'll have a greater sense of ability to say, wait a minute, this is not acceptable. Wait a minute, this isn't right wait a minute, something needs to be done here. Something has to happen. Instead of feeling like, wait, I can't say that because it was God. God told me to marry that person. No, you chose to marry that person. Now, yes, I hope you, you follow the biblical guidelines of not marrying an unbeliever. Yes, I hope you look for the warning signs. But I don't know if you'll see the warning signs. And other people telling you their warning signs sometimes have no clue what they're talking about and because they just don't like the person. I never liked that person anyway. That person was a jerk or that person was this. I knew that was a problem. You didn't know anything. You, you d- Look, there are times people give warning signs and those warning signs never dem- come into, they ne- don't even manifest themselves in a meaningful way. There's times people like, oh, this guy's perfect. This guy is great for you. And then that guy's the one end up abusing his wife. You never know how that's going to work out. Because again, what's the fundamental principle? You're marrying a sinner. You're marrying a sinner. This this is what Christian marriage is. Two sinners, two sinners are coming together, bringing, and guess what they're bringing into their marriage? Their sinful nature. Christian marriage is two sinners Coming together, and they are bringing into this relationship both of their depravity. They're bringing in their, so you've got depravity, marrying depravity. You got sinner, marrying sinner. And when sinners get together, they sin. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be problems. Not only are they sinners; they're human beings. They're bringing in their emotions, their quirks, their likes, their dislikes, their all of their their issues. Boom! Not only that, they're bringing in their their emotions. They're bringing it. They're so all the things that come together is a recipe for problems. But we've destroyed that reality with some, with a oh if we if we condemn Hollywood. For over-romanticizing marriage and love, then Christianity should be condemned for over-spiritualizing it. One over-romanticizes it, one over-spiritualizes it, where the reality is Christians should see the reality of it. Two sinners are about to get married. What do you bring to this marriage? Like that, that's how the marriage vows should work, right? So, just call her name, whatever her name is. We'll, we'll just Jenna. We'll just use the name Je- Jenna. What are you bringing into this relationship? All of my sinful nature. And then John, what are you bringing into this relationship? All of my sinful nature. So, two sinners are about to join in holy matrimony. And guess what they will? Guess what their marriage will demonstrate and, and show forth in it over and over and over. Sin. Yeah, that, that probably won't go over well, but that's what we have to realize. Because we've got to destroy the spirit over spiritualizing it. It's two sinners joining themselves together in a union and a contract and a covenant, but they're two sinners. And there's going to be sin. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be doubt. And and, and now hopefully it's two it's two believers, but they're still sinners. Hopefully it's two people who have the same spiritual commitment. That's how marriage vows should be written from this for, from this point forth. So what do you bring to this marriage? And, and the person should say, I bring sin into this marriage. What do you bring? I bring sin into this marriage. And you too, both knowing you're sinners are agreeing to join yourself in holy matrimony before the Lord. Yes. And you understand that this marriage will be filled with sin, struggle, conflict, and problems. Yes. Okay. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. I I know, I know that's not a popular, I know that's not a popular uh, way of looking at it, but it's just we've got to destroy the over-spiritualizing it because then a woman gets into it and like this was God's will. He there's I've heard it preached to me. God has one person for you. One person. And he will bring you to that person. Well, what do you do in that kind of situation? It's God's will. And then Basically, you find yourself in a living hell. What do you do? It's God's will. It's God's will. It's God's will. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. You can say, well, well, don't you believe God works all things according to good his good pleasure and will? I do. Then so we could talk about that. But I'm just saying at its very fundamental level, it's two sinners who are not infallible, are fallible who are sinners, who are humans, or who, who are making a choice to get married. And there's no great spiritual, Ooh, ooh, just listen, just listen. And God's going to tell you, no, all I can do is you claim to be a believer. I claim to be a believer. Yes. Can I look for signs that they're really committed to Christ? Yes. Can I, can I hopefully see that now? I think, I think sometimes it's, it should be obvious Typically, a lot of times, you'll, I, I've only, I can only speak about listening to, to Christian women talk about it, and then it becomes obvious. They, there, there's this guy that they like, and it's like, this guy doesn't seem to care anything about the things of God. Doesn't, doesn't study, doesn't read, doesn't care, doesn't talk about doctrine, doesn't talk about theology. Obviously, there's an issue, but in most cases, the, the girl won't listen to it anyway. I, and I can, I can flip it around, but I'm just saying, typically, I hear the women talk about it, not so much the men. I think that this is a major issue that creates major problems because we have such a, we've we've so, we've so just looked at this the wrong way. And so when you read this story, it's just horrible. I mean, let me read it to you again. It's just, it's just, I have a hard time processing it. Let me go back to the story. We go back to the story here. Krista believed it was God's will that she marry her husband. She believed it was his will for her to deny herself, to endure the pain each time her husband reportedly raped her mere hours after giving birth, to not intervene when her seven children cried out for mercy as her husband reportedly beat them. Every day when the kids are screaming in pain, I'm defying every natural thing as a mother to stand up for the doctrine that I was taught, she recalled. Krista, who asked to remain anonymous to protect her and her children, says she learned this doctrine at John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. Photos and church documents show Krista's husband was a long-time Grace Community Church member and lay leader. Police records obtained by the Rory's Report detail the years-long abuse Krista and her children suffered through, though uh, they found out just this year that prosecutors decided not to press charges. And the reason why is, well, she did not keep evidence of this. And the reason she didn't keep the evidence is because she thought she was not to keep any records of wrongs. So she had, oh, oh, so there was such a spiritualization of the whole thing. That well, And again, I'm not here to get into what Grace Community Church did or didn't do or what they taught or didn't taught. What I'm trying to demonstrate is that there's a way of thinking that enters into the minds of some Christians when it enters into marriage that I think creates an atmosphere, creates a psychological way of thinking that can lead to some major issues. And one of these issues is this over-spiritualizing over-spiritual, spiritual the whole process. The biblical grounds is this. Are they a believer? Yes, should you look for signs of their spiritual commitment? You should. You should. And you should question that. But you've got to look at all the other issues as well. You've got to look at all the other things that go into it. Just because you're a believer and they're a believer doesn't mean it's going to be, it's going to be a good match. And you've got to remember this. What do you bring to your marriage? Sin what does your uh, spouse bring to marriage? Sin. And what's the essence of sin? Self. It's I. You're going to bring selfishness. And and guess what? Guess what you bring into the marriage? A very fallible person. Guess what they bring in? A very fallible person. Neither of you are infallible. Both of you are sinners. Both of you are human. Human emotions and likes and quirks and, and all of the Things about you that someone may may or may not get. Things that you, about you that may irritate someone to death. We need a much more realistic approach to the subject. I'm not. And do you say that's going to fix all the problems? No, but what it may create is not so much this. Oh wait, I'm being beat, but it's God's will. God's will. This is the person God told me to marry. Now you can say, man, what in the world did I do? I chose this. Now, we can't, I'm not here to debate. Someone said, well, well, what is God's will in that situation? I understand we get into a whole a can of theological worms when we start going, well, what is God's will now that you're married? But I know this. You can argue first and foremost that you made that decision. Now you could argue God sovereignly brought you together and God worked this, that you would end up married. You can, you can try to make that argument, but I just want you to at least see that it was two individuals making a decision. And the only biblical guidelines that you have is are they, are, are they an unbeliever? You can say, well, the Bible would tell you other things to look out for. Yes, it would. It would give you some of these warning signs. I agree. It would tell you that you know you you know you want someone who's who's committed to Christ. I understand that. But I'm saying the basic guideline is d- don't be un- unequally yoked. I know this is a completely radically different approach to this subject. I know, and I know you're not going to hear a lot of teaching going at it from this perspective. But the the chaos that shows up I mean, just think of how how much how the divorce rates among believers at different times. I know that depending on the report, some have had it up as high as 50% before some's had it down to around 40%, but whatever the case divorce amongst Christians is not an uncommon thing. It is far more common than anyone wants to admit. And there's horrible abuse that happens within Christian marriages So where do we start? Maybe we start on how we try to help Christians decide who to marry, and we stop over spiritualizing it. We want it, We condemn the over romanticizing it. Let's stop. Start condemning the over spiritualizing it. And I really, I, I would be curious. Because Christians really, and, and, and I'll just kind of leave you with this, Christians really emphasize, you know, do not be, and I know the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I know, I know that the church really emphasizes, and I understand why. Make sure you marry a believer. Make sure you marry a believer. Make sure you marry a believer. I understand that emphasis. Make sure you marry someone who's godly and they desire and they pursue the things of God. Make sure, make sure, make sure. But I would, I would really be curious. You take all the Christian marriages that have imploded, blown up, fallen apart. Divorce has happened. I wonder... If we were to list the reasons it did, if number one would be, well, they just weren't spiritual enough. They weren't godly enough. They didn't love God enough. They. I wonder if it would be because of spiritual issues or it would be uh, other issues dealing with compatibility. Some will say it's because of sin. Okay. But you you didn't realize you were bringing sin into the marriage didn't you realize sin was going to occur so i think sometimes christians think i'm marrying a believer so therefore there shouldn't be there shouldn't be any real sin in our marriage but that is that is ridiculous to think that way it, it's, it's so weird it's like many times you'll get two christians they may even be committing sin while they're dating they may be falling into sin, struggling with sin while they're dating. Then they get married and then they're utterly shocked that sin shows up in their marriage. And then they get divorced because sin shows up in their marriage. Well, if sin was showing up in your dating, didn't you think sin could show up in your marriage? You're you're still sinners. Right? I wonder if we've gotten this so wrong. And so we fundamentally, we start off wrong. Before we get to the issues of submission, before we get to the issues of divorce, before we get to the issues of abuse. Now, this episode wasn't about it, but let me just say it again. If abuse is taking place, separation is, not it is, it, it, it should happen. Separate until we can. you can figure out the abuse thing. I mean, depending on the abuse, obviously the authorities need to be contacted. I understand all of that. So sometimes it's like it's it's divorce. The, the only option is divorce or, or the, the only option is stay in the uh, abuse or get a divorce. And there are other, other options as well. And I'm not saying that that fixes everything. I'm saying immediately you can get out of the situation. You can separate. And then you can go from there. You can contact the authorities. You can do you can do different things. And the church should be the first place to step in and go. Okay, wait a minute. Let's see what we can do to help here, not to cover it up. All right. I I I don't know if I've made a right decision in approaching it this way or not. But I think it's some. I think it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. We have to look at it. Because everything, I mean, this—it just—I I would just when the story, when I read the story, and it starts with, "I believed it was God's will to marry this person," that you know, she start the whole story starts off. Krista believed it was God's will that she marry her husband. As soon as I read that, I'm like, that—that—that—that's the starting point. Before we look at the wrong that happens and the horrible things that happen in the marriage, how did it start? And it almost always starts when the Christian story is. It was God's will I marry that person. God led me. God showed me. God told me that's who I'm supposed to marry. Well, that creates a a, a bizarre psychological situation in my mind. All right. You can email me your disagreements or your thoughts on this. Again, I'm hoping it sparks. Unfortunately, it's going to spark debate and controversy. I'm hoping it sparks meaningful discussion. I hope it does, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, that's newsif at yahoo.com. I think we only had a couple of internet interruptions for the Sermons 2.0 and the Church One app. I still don't understand what's going on with the internet in the local area, um, but hopefully, yeah, I'm just going to stop right there. And hopefully we uh, can get these problems fixed so that I can be more comfortable and going live well, for many hours. All right. So we'll stop right there. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.